Today on Blue 58, you have seen that famous Sports Illustrated cover featuring Aaron Rodgers and all of his talented pass catchers. That group powered the Packers to a 15-1 and record and helped Aaron Rodgers win his first MVP. But what if this year's offense is even better? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got a lot of training camp news to get through before we get to today's topic and uh, another look at uh, blood, sweat, and chalk, but uh, let's let's get started. we got to dive right in if we got to get to all that stuff, so, so let's begin. A lot of injury news in training camp so far. Some of it good, some of it not so good, particularly if you are Randy Ramsey. The Packers have waived him with an injury designation. That means he is uh, out for the season. Uh, you cannot pass through waivers in, in the preseason. So if you are injured or waived with an injury designation, that means that uh, you revert to your team's injured reserve. And that is where Randy Ramsey will spend his 2021 season because you cannot come off of injured reserve if you end up there in the preseason. You can see pretty obviously with now unlimited players able to come off of injured reserve, how teams would use that to stash guys left, right, and center. So Randy Ramsey is out, but Dominique Martin is in. Tarleton State prospect joins the Packers after a long journey through a few weird levels of college football. Uh, Martin is a converted wide receiver, played, played wide receiver in college. In fact, hasn't played defensive back, which is his current position, cornerback, since his freshman year of high school. He has taken stops in the meantime, in the spring league, basically a tryout league for uh, former and would-be professional players who haven't gotten much of a shot so far, and the fan-controlled football league, which I know about and understand but cannot begin to explain to you. You really just have to look it up for yourself and see what the fan-controlled football league is. It's wild and weird and uh, definitely worth a look. It's a Fun is probably not the right word for it because it's so unlike anything with football that Fun doesn't even begin to describe it. It's just, it's something entirely different. But Smith had a brief stop there and now joins the Packers in training camp. Probably doesn't have a real good shot here, just joining the team that's pretty deep in the defensive backfield already here on the 12th of August. I mean, what do you think his shot at making the roster is? It's it's not a good one. It's, it's just a reality. There are a lot of guys in front of him. But this is a good chance for him to put some stuff on tape make a good impression in Green Bay, maybe ends up in the practice squad at some point this season. Maybe not early in the season, but you say, hey, we worked you out. We had you in camp for a little while. We liked what we saw. Now we can try to get you on the roster later on in the season. Good work for him. It's worked for other people. Uh, So Randy Ramsey's season ends, but Dominic Martin gets a crack here uh, in Green Bay. A few other guys making their way back to the football field. First and foremost, Josiah DeGuara, who returns to the practice field after tearing an ACL pretty early in last year's season. Uh, DeGuara is probably the most versatile piece the Packers have going on offense right now. He can block, he can run, he can catch. Uh, He's a a good all-around player and brings a lot of athleticism, probably the most of anybody the Packers have on the roster at his position, um, to that that F position that Matt LaFleur likes a lot. So he'll move around, he'll do a lot of great things, go in motion, it's going to be fun to watch, and there may be no player that I'm more excited to see in 2021 than DeGuara, just because he's pretty unique on the roster. And uh, we all know how much Lafleur has loved this position. Guys have made the roster solely based on on playing this spot. Dominic Daphne uh, comes to mind, uh, but DeGuara is is a better athlete, 
at that same position than uh, than Dominique Daphne, than Isaac Nauder, than Jay Sternberger, and than anybody else who has lined up in that kind of role. So he brings a lot to the table there, and it's fun to have him back on the field. Now Lafleur really have has his full complement of weapons in Green Bay, plus Randall Cobb. Uh, a lot going for this Packers offense, and that is going to lead into our question that we're going to talk about here later on. Also returning to the field today was Zedaria Smith, or recently. Uh, he had been on the non-football injury reportedly uh, injury list, reportedly with a back issue, and that sticks in my mind a little bit. They can say he is back to full strength or whatever, uh, but remember how David Bakhtiari was listed with a, a back injury early in the 2019 season and never really seemed right until late in the year? In fact, it wasn't until that really last month of the season that Bakhtiari really came on for the Packers in 2019. That comes to mind when I think about Zedaria Smith here. I'm not saying those injuries are the same or even similar, but back injuries have this tendency to linger. And uh, if if Smith is looking a little bit or looking like he's moving a little bit gingerly here early in the season, I think it's worth remembering how his season began and why. Maybe just mark that down. Keep it in the back of your mind. Uh, back to the field as well are Isaiah McDuffie and Kingsley Kiki. Can't really say back uh, just on the field. Both of them have been limited or or completely absent from practice so far this year. Nothing really to say about either of those guys individually, but the Packers basically have their complete front now. They've got all the linemen and linebackers and edge rushers on hand that they would like to have other than Randy Ramsey. So everything can get sorted by play on the field. You don't have to make projections. You don't have to wonder, well, what would have happened if we had this guy around? They've got everybody. It's an ideal situation, and they can let everything sort out uh, as it as it as it may, which is really the ideal thing for for training camp. They've got everybody up front except for Rashawn Gary. Now, it's not like Gary's spot is in jeopardy, uh, but the injury he's dealing with, and I guess the kind of expectations around him make this noteworthy. Dealing with a a groin injury, and much like Zedaria Smith, this is going to be worth monitoring for some time. Until he proves otherwise, I think we have to assume he's going to be a little bit limited, at least early in the season here. Kenny Clark had a groin injury that lingered for most of last season, really slowed him down through a lot of the early portions of the year. In a year where we're counting on big things from Rashawn Gary, it would really be a shame to see him limited by injury. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about Reggie Bagleton. Uh, was the talk of training camp last year for a time, just uh, given that he was the, the new receiver in town, which gives you a, a considerable amount of attention in Green Bay. He ended up making the practice squad, spent a little bit of time on the active roster, didn't really do anything meaningful, uh, but but he was there. He's made it to the NFL, and now here he is fighting for his NFL life on the bottom half, to be generous, of a wide receiver depth chart that is awfully crowded. He's got a good connection, it seems, with Jordan Love so far, which is always a good thing. Making connections with quarterbacks at all levels of the roster is a, a good thing to do. He presents an intriguing physical package, could be a big slot type option, might be a solid practice squad pick. I mean, they're probably going to keep a couple of receivers on the practice squad. But the thing I want to highlight about Reggie Bagleton is just his attitude. He really seems to be uh, at peace, makes him seem almost too too passive, but just excited to have the opportunity to be where he is. And looking back at his story over the past couple of years, past few years, uh, it's easy to see why he would have that kind of perspective. 
um, did not get a lot of attention coming out of college, ended up in Canada, had some great success in Canada, and now he's in the NFL. And he got a great question about, you know, his approach to this season, even in light of the the Packers' depth chart situation uh, in his press conference this week. And I thought his answer was really, really good. In short, he's just trying to have as much fun as he can. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Here's what he said. The way I look at it, it's, it's actually fun. Uh, if, if it was easy, I mean, would you really enjoy the process, especially when you come out successful at the end? Uh, I'm, I'm treating it, I mean, yeah, you could say I'm behind the eight ball, but I'm not looking at it that way. I'm going out there, I'm, I'm doing what I could do, I know what I can do, and, and I'm trying to take advantage of every opportunity that I personally can get. So I'm making this fun. I know it's a competitive room, and like I said, at the end of the day, it's, it's just fun. What more do you really want from somebody? I mean, that just makes me want to root for Reggie Bagleton even more than I, I already was. I mean, great perspective. What more do you want? He just is having fun. He's giving it his best shot. And what else can you do? If you do your best and you don't make it, well, I mean, not a lot you can do there. But he's leaving it all out there. And if it's not in Green Bay or, or it may be somewhere else, um, he, he realizes what's at stake here. Uh, but he just he knows he can do it, and he's done his very best, and whatever happens, happens. It's a really grown-up perspective. That sounds almost patronizing. It's a really mature perspective. It's a really kind of refined way of looking at life. I think that's something that we could all learn from and something that I certainly can use a lot of lessons at, you know, being content where you're at. Uh, but he seems really content, and uh, whatever happens, happens, and I'm I'm rooting for him. I I think it's it's going to be tough for him to make the 53, but there are practice squad spots available, and uh, maybe he can carve out a niche there in Green Bay. And beyond that, who knows what can happen. Now for something completely different. Let's check in with Doug Hyar on YouTube. He left me this comment the other day. What's your opinion on the receivers group and tight end one talent pool as far as potential and skill set versus the talent pool, say, heading into the 2010 to 2012 season? The potential is that Adams, Cobb, Lazard, MVS, Amari Rogers, Devin Funches, and Tunyon would stack up uh, against Greg Jennings, James Jones, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Jermichael Finley. I'm honestly seeing our deepest squad and talent pool since then, and that was the SI cover squad. So great question. Uh, we do have to talk about that famous Sports Illustrated cover. You've got Aaron Rodgers flanked by Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Randall Cobb, Jermichael Finley, and Donald Driver. That is a great group. And straight head-to-head, I think they've probably got the edge over this year's pass catchers. I mean, picture that same cover side-by-side with a similar cover featuring Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, Robert Tunyon. I mean, it, it's it's not quite the same. You can mix in some of the following, you know, Devin Funches, Juwan Winfrey, Equinemius St. Brown, Reggie Bagleton, Mercedes Lewis. And I think just in terms of you know, upside, even long-term potential, that 2011 group has it. But I think that's an incomplete way of looking at it. Even if you include 2010 and 2012 on either side of that 2011 season, those are a really specific kind of group of player. In, in reality, I think the Packers pass catchers this season, just looking at the guys catching the ball from Aaron Rodgers, are not as good as the 2011 squad. But I don't think that is the right comparison. 
Because as I know, or as we know, there is way more to this year's version of the Packers offense than just guys catching the ball. The real playmaker lineup is more like Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, I mean, not Aaron Rodgers. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Amari Rodgers, Robert Tunyon, Josiah DeGuara, A.J. Dillon. And that's an entirely different conversation. Why does it matter, though, that those are two different things? Well, as I said, that 2011 group was really good. Really, 2010 to 2012 group was really good. And I don't think 2021 can match that in terms of top-end talent. But how do you offset top-end talent? You offset it with depth and versatility. And I think just looking at that list, grouping the running backs in, grouping the the F players in, F-backs, is that what we call them? Fullbacks? Not quite fullbacks. Discussion for a different day. Grouping the tight ends beyond just the first guy in there. This is a really versatile group. If there's one big weakness to that 2011 team, it was that they could really only do one thing, traditional drop-back passing. And maybe they could do is not the, the best way to put that. They did really only one thing. Part of that is Mike McCarthy's approach, which on the one hand, it wasn't all that creative. But on the other hand, it worked really, really well until they dropped 45 passes in the divisional round and in the cold temperatures in in the playoffs against the Giants. They had their worst game of the season at the worst possible time against a, a team that matched up against them really well. But they basically just did that and did that pretty well. But in 2021, things are way different. Just in terms of play calling approaches, you've got deep shots, you've got mid-range passing, you've got the running game, you've got receivers who can go in motion and do interesting things. You've got Josiah DeGuara alone doing things that no player on the 2011 team could really do. And you can quibble about which approach is better, but this approach is very good, and that should help the Packers a lot this year, just in terms of those play-calling things. Then on top of that, take that group of playmakers that the Packers have this year and look at all the different personnel groupings you can do. You can do 11 personnel, which is what the Packers ran all the time in 2011, three receivers, one tight end, one running back. But in 2021, you can do 21 personnel. You can do it a couple different ways. You could have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon out there. Uh, You could do 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. What kind of tight ends are you going to use? Are you going to use Tanyan and DeGuara together? Tanyan and Mercedes Lewis? DeGuara and Lewis? You can do all kinds of different things. You can roll out a group of just giant receivers, MVS, Lazard, and Devin Funches if you want. Heck, uh, if you don't think Funches is going to make the roster, swap out Funches for DeGuara and Tanyan. You can have just your speed lineups, MVS, Amari Rogers, Randall Cobb, Aaron Jones out there. You can, again, go real big. A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara in the backfield together. Mercedes Lewis lined up as a tight end there. What if you did 13 personnel with uh, A.J. Dillon, DeGuara, and Mercedes Lewis? That's a lot of beef out there on the field. The versatility of this group might be unmatched in my recollection of my time writing about the Packers dating back really to 2012. I can't really recall a group of skill position players with this much versatility. Could you still quibble and say, yeah, they still probably should have been dumping more resources into receiver over the past couple of years? Sure, I think that's fair. 
But this still is a very talented group of playmakers, and they might stack up in some ways equal to and in some ways even better than the 2011 squad. Just in terms of sheer versatility alone, uh, they should be ahead. Let's talk about a book. Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, Chapter 15. We are coming close to the end, at least uh, down the home stretch here uh, in Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. And today we're going to talk about something that should be pretty familiar to Packers fans. This this chapter, uh, the spread option, as Layden calls it, is another thing that kind of seems revolutionary or might have seemed super revolutionary at the time. They, they start the story in the, in the early 90s with Rich Rodriguez running it at, at a bunch of different places. It seems super exotic and revolutionary then, but it's super common now. In fact, I would go so far as to say that every team in the league has some version of this in their playbook. We talked about, I think it was last time, it's been within the last couple episodes, about how the spread or the one-back spread, 11 personnel really, was once wild and exotic too, but now it's everywhere. And the spread option is that same kind of thing. They call it the spread option in this chapter, but is known more commonly as the read option or the zone option or a zone read. And I guarantee you've heard of it by that name. We've seen the Packers run versions of this as, as recently as 2018 uh, with Aaron Rodgers even. Uh, a zone read where you just have uh, zone blocking going one way, the, bo- the back following behind him and the quarterback reading the backside defensive end. It is, it's really that simple. Every team in the league probably does some version of that. And I think this chapter in particular, that breakdown of how the option here works, just holding the ball in the belly of the running back until you see what the defensive end is doing and then deciding from there, summarizes up the absolutely elegant simplicity of option plays so perfectly. The beauty of option plays is that you're getting the defense to block itself by not blocking them. That sounds hilariously wrong, but it's absolutely true. Normally, using your brain to take people out in football is a bad idea, but in this case, it's a very good one, and it works very, very well. Overall, this section on the spread, these last two or three chapters, has felt a little bit bogged down. I think Layden probably should have combined everything into one big chapter on the spread because you've got the spread overall, you've got the run and shoot, you've got the one-back spread, you've got the spread option. There's not that much variety in those, and you could just kind of take a quick tour through all of those little things. That's a small quibble, but it's been on my mind. But this chapter in particular was interesting because I think it, it shows a really really important central premise to to the idea not so much of the spread but of the option in the spread option or read option or zone option whatever you want to call it zone read these the main idea is that you're trying to make the quarterback a legitimate threat as a runner what's the big criticism of option offenses in in college or or high school or at, at the NFL you're getting your quarterback beat up well what's the best way to avoid getting your quarterback beat up. Tilt the numbers into your favor. Making the quarterback a legitimate threat as a runner solves one huge problem for the offense. Think about a football field for a second for me. 
the conflict between offense and defense is just a numbers game. And that seems counterintuitive because you've got 11 players on either side, but think about it. With the quarterback handling the ball as often as he does, how many defenders are really defending the offense? All 11, right? But how many offensive players can the offense really utilize at once? At most, 10, really. At most, five and the quarterback. You've got five blockers, you've got five other you know, backs and ends and receivers, and then you've got the quarterback. At its very best, the offense is using 10 players to attack 11 players. But if you can get the quarterback involved again as a runner, you're evening that numbers game because then the defense has an 11th player to keep track of. And if you can use the idea of the quarterback making a decision to block one of those players without using a man to occupy him, suddenly you've basically got 11 offensive players attacking 10 defenders. That is beautiful. And that is why I think you can't ever dismiss a well-run option or especially a well-run read option or spread option or zone option, whatever you want to call it. Packers fans, to pivot uncomfortably into Packers connections for this chapter, should know exactly what that feels like. Remember the 2012 playoffs? Remember the San Francisco 49ers? That was zone option, zone read all day. That was offensive coordinator Greg Roman getting free reign to cook up whatever he wanted for a long, leggy quarterback with great top-end speed in Colin Kaepernick. And that was a perfect example of just how well the read option can work when you force the defense to think. The defense could not think their way out of a very simple play, and Colin Kaepernick ran wild. That's not the only Packers connection there, though. In a cruel twist of fate, Greg Roman, who was the offensive coordinator for the 49ers, has a significant Packers connection there, specifically that year's Packers team. Defensive coordinator Dom Capers, a former NFL head coach, actually gave Greg Roman his first two NFL jobs with the Panthers in 1995 and then with the Texans in 2002. Roman ultimately hooked up with, uh, with Jim Harbaugh uh, at Stanford and then into the NFL and now is doing great work with the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. But he started in the NFL thanks to Dom Capers. Just another thing we can thank Dom Capers for. We also got a brief mention of Michael Bishop, a great uh, spread option, read option quarterback in college. He had the briefest of stints with the Packers in 2001, released prior to the start of the season, really never really got a chance to show what he could do in the preseason. It wouldn't really have made much of a difference anyway. In 2001, Brett Favre is absolutely entrenched. Doug Peterson is behind him as the backup there's there's no chance that Michael Bishop is really going to make the roster there outside of the practice squad. But he did end up in Green Bay for a very short period of time uh, after his great college career. And you almost wonder what could have been if it was, say, the 2021 Packers instead of the 2001 Packers, what a guy like, like Michael Bishop could do with a play caller like Matt LaFleur. I guess we'll never know. And I guess there's a whole lot of quarterbacks like Michael Bishop that uh, never got to find out if they could make it in the NFL 
at least a version of the NFL that was a lot more receptive to their particular skills. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate everybody who said some nice things about the uh, the Cody Alexander interview. It has been received very well. Cody was great, and we're looking to do some more stuff like this here in the near future. So keep an eye out for future interviews, and let me know if there's anybody you might like me to talk to or uh, topics you'd like me to pursue with somebody who's got an expert opinion on things. I'd love to do stuff like that for you. In the meantime, the best thing you can do is to share this episode with somebody you think might enjoy it. That is the number one way we're going to grow this show. We're going to get more people involved in this conversation we're having around the Packers, which ultimately is going to help everybody become smarter Packers fans, me included. I can uh, always use uh, more learning as well. Uh, The great thing about that is, as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. Let's get smarter together. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.